Ask anyone who's had a major water leak and they'll tell you most of the damage could have been prevented if they had been able to stop the leak sooner. Groa, maker of innovative German-engineered showers and faucets, is helping busy homeowners like you prevent water damage and protect your home even when you're away. The new Groa SenseGuard is an intuitive, smart water controller that detects leaks, alerts you via your smartphone, and automatically shuts off your water supply before more damage is done. Protect your home, vacation, or rental properties with Groa SenseGuard and quickly stop water damage before a drip becomes a flood. Listeners of Inside the Hive can save 35% on Groa SenseGuard only at groa.us slash hive19. That's G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash H-I-V-E and the number 19. Once again, save 35% on Groa SenseGuard at groa.us slash hive19. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I I couldn't even if I if there were words that would describe how excited I was right now I couldn't even express them because welcome back to the show Emily Jane mother effing fox That's how it's officially ever- listed on my birth certificate actually <laughs> Uh, for people that don't know who L- Emily Jane Fox is, and I don't think there's anyone on earth who doesn't know, uh, you are a correspondent for Vanity Fair. You cover politics and Trump and those little uh, gastardly kids of his. Um, and you also cover all things related to Mueller and the uh, White House and, and so on. You've written an incredible book, Born Trump, which I think is one of my favorite titles for any book I've ever written. Uh, seen read anything i love uh, you and it's also gold it's also a gold cover which it is amazing serves as a mirror in a pinch and i also i'm a little annoyed it's not gold on my black and white ipad i mean kindle but anyway uh so you have a new story out this week it's a bombshell story about what happened be- behind the scenes at the state of the union take us Take us backstage and explain what was going on. Behind the scenes at the inauguration. I don't know that the State of the Union would be. Sorry, sorry. It's all the same thing to me. They all just blur together as one big disaster. So anyway, behind the the scenes at the State of the Union is like watching a lot of cable news and having other people write your draft for you. Inauguration was slightly different and um, potentially uh, way more damaging, potentially criminal, and is certainly under investigation. So to me, slightly slightly more interesting. So here's the story. We now know, as of this week, that the Southern District of New York, which has been probing a number of aspects of President Trump's life before uh, he took office in January of 2017, has subpoenaed the inaugural committee. We knew last month from various reports that the SDNY had opened an investigation in how inaugural funds were spent and if foreigners had essentially paid to play. But now we know that there is an actual subpoena out, and it's a fairly broad subpoena that's seeking all information about donors, about venues, about money in and out, about foreign donors, um, one foreign donor in particular who was registered as a foreign agent. And so this part of this investigation is certainly heating up. And I had 
before we knew about the subpoena, I had been working on a uh, big story about um, a person who was very heavily involved in the inauguration and all of the concerns that she had leading up to the invest uh, leading up to the inauguration about how money was being spent. And so it was actually kind of a perfect timing for this story to come out. This woman's name is not familiar to most people who even follow the story closely, but if you were someone who was covering the inauguration or the early days of the administration, it might ring a bell. Her name is Stephanie Winston Wolkoff. She is a very close and longtime friend of, Mel- of Melania Trump's. And she was asked to come on board to essentially plan 18 events leading up to the inauguration. She had cut her teeth actually here in the building at Vogue. Uh, she was help. She she helped uh, plan the Met Gala here, and was a, a fairly skilled event planner who she knew she could trust to execute all those events in a six-week time span. Uh, and it was something that none of them really knew how to do. So Stephanie came in. And she knew it was going to be a kind of a tough proposition, uh, but what she encountered was striking to her. And there are a number of things that concerned her throughout that process. Um, One of the things was she couldn't account for a lot of the budgeting that she saw coming her way. So vendors would come to her and pass her budgets that she would then have to go through and bring to other senior members of the inaugural committee and say, this is what we're paying for X, and here's the explanation for why we're paying that for X, and here's what we're paying for Y, and here's the explanation for why we're paying that. But when she would get these budgets, she wouldn't always be able to explain why they were, for instance, being charged $25,000 for one bike rack, for one of the evening black tie events. Like, who's riding a bike to that black tie event, and why is one bike rack being charged just um, $25,000? Uh, so, who, who's, explain how, who that, where that money is coming from, who it's going to, and who's actually benefiting from it. So, that, that one example was one of the largest inaugural vendors. They were, the company's name is, uh, is Hargrove. Hargrove has been involved in, many, many, many inaugurations before the Trump inauguration. And what they do is provide items, things to put on inaugural events. So all the staging, all the risers, all the tables that go into all these venues for the inaugural events, Hargrove provides them. So Hargrove, before they actually provide them, sends around budgets to the people who are planning the inaugurations. And they show how much they're going to charge the inaugural committee for all the things that are being rented for those events. And when Stephanie was getting these budgets and reviewing them, she kept raising flags about how much she was being charged um, and and why some of these things had been approved by other people on the inaugural committee. So so that is that when you look at the $25,000, is this just that company making money or is it somehow it is the company? The it is the company that was charging that amount, uh, that was asking f- for that amount of money. But there were things like that that were being approved by other people. So she was A, questioning why are the vendors charging us $25,000 for bike racks, but B, why are some of these things being approved? Now, these budgets were circulating. One of the budgets that I reviewed as part of this uh, was being circulated as late as December 31st. The inauguration was on January 20, 20th, 21st. So we're getting pretty close to the wire. There were things that had been approved by other people that were not Stephanie that were, uh, she felt like she couldn't explain those numbers. And so she was raising all sorts of flags that about 
things that other vendors were charging. Now, one of those vendors happened to be the Trump Hotel in Washington, which is a convenient mm-hmm. five blocks away. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. A convenient five blocks away down Pennsylvania Avenue from the White House. Um, now, the Trumps were going to host one inaugural event for family, friends, cabinet members leading up to the inauguration in the ballroom at the Trump Hotel, which would uh, presumably sound weird in any other administration. But now I feel like we're numb to the fact that that's a weird thing. No, it's totally fucking bizarre that 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 A, they did that, and B, that people were okay with that. It that, gets weirder. Could you... It gets weirder. Yeah, I'm keep, so, on, keep going. Sorry. So on December 10th, I reviewed an email from a member of the Trump organization quoting the price to rent the ballroom at a new hotel. Uh, and I, I mean, I stayed at the hotel for a story uh, the night after the election day. And the hotel was literally empty. I think I was one of five people who had stayed in the hotel that night. It was one of the scariest nights of my life. It felt like I was in The Shining. <laughs> Um, so this was not a hotel that was, you know, it wasn't the Did four Johnny seasons. Jr. come out of your closet and say, hi, Emily? He stayed in the closet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, okay, so this, this hotel was like not the, you know, a long established Washington venue. Um, yeah. So the, the price quoted initially by a Trump organization employee for, for use of the ballroom for eight days and food and beverage minimum. So just basically the space, um, which they were only going to use for one event. They they quoted them $3.6 million. Now, this is what? the president's private business asking for $3.6 million from his inaugural committee. So that is like dir- the inaugural committee directly lining the Trump organization's pockets. So Stephanie so Winston-Walkoff was apoplectic. And sent a series of emails being like, um, are you crazy? That's an insane amount of money. And sent an email to Rick Gates, who was the deputy chairman of the inauguration, but also now, as we know, um, was charged and is now a cooperating, has been a cooperating witness in the Mueller probe for more than a year. Um, so so uh, Walkoff sent an email around to Gates and to Ivanka saying, you know, I'm concerned about the price of this. We have to be careful about how this looks. This is an event for the president-elect, and it's his private business. We need to think long and hard about the rate for this because this thing is eventually going to be audited and could become public. So she was raising alarms about um, how this was going to look and how unseemly it is for the inaugural committee to be paying the Trump organization directly. Now, I have a statement that I, I should read from Ivanka's lawyer's spokesperson. That shows you how far down the line we are that her lawyer has a spokesperson. I feel um, like I need sound effects for this show. It's today. a lot. Dun, There's a dun, lot going dun. on. I'm really sorry. Um, so the statement uh, is, quote, when contacted by someone working on the inauguration, Ms. Trump passed the inquiry on to a hotel official and said only that any resulting discussion should be at a, quote, fair market rate, unquote. Ms. Trump was not involved in any additional discussions. Now, the Trump Organization ended up lowering the fee, and I believe that the Trump Organization was paid a million and a half bucks, which is nothing to turn your nose up. 
to. It has nothing to turn your nose up, especially I have um, spoken at many, 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 many conferences and also helped organize a few myself. And even that number is astounding for a ballroom. Plus, plus, venue. in that in in that number is a number of inaugural staffers spending basically six weeks living out of the Trump Hotel, ordering room service, eating at the restaurant there, and so you have so many people in so many different ways paying the Trump Organization as they work to organize this inauguration. It's wild. Now, now here's a question. So, d- d- does your story, does your reporting, or does your gut feeling uh, tell you that 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 a this is there's two two scenarios for this. One is that. This is just the way business is done in Trump land, and it doesn't come from high up that this is what you should try to charge. It doesn't come from sideways or anywhere. It's just like, oh, here's an opportunity, and this is the way we work in in the Trump organization. Let's see how much money we can get out of this. Um, Or is it that, you know, there's like backdoor conversations going on when they're like, hey, uh, we can uh, can increase. Increase the revenue of uh, of the new hotel. Um, why don't you guys charge X? Well, I think the way obvious. I mean, the way most businesses are run would be trying to get as much money as possible, right? That's that's the point of running a, a uh, profitable I I business. Mean, but yes, but when you're yes, but. when you're about to be the president of the United States, maybe your first concern should not be how can I line my pockets, how can I get the most for my private business from my inaugural funds, which I am raising for donors who are not aware of the fact that this is going to be going to my private business. It is impossible, and I, I don't know this to be true for this specific case. But in general, when people talk about um, what President Trump could have known about what was going on in the campaign or uh, especially what was going on with his his business when it pertains to someone like Michael Cohen or something like that, Trump Tower Moscow, you have to understand what the Trump organization was like and what it is like even, even more so today. It is a mom and pop shop. It is a very small office that is several floors lower from his apartment where his children grew up. His children work there. This is a family-run business that is quite small, uh, and there was nothing that was done that was without the president's approval or knowledge. That's just not how the business worked. So it is very difficult to believe that these were rogue employees who were trying to cash in. And if that's the case, you think they weren't trying to get credit for making the most money for the Trump organization? Like these people weren't operating um, in in a rogue fashion to benefit themselves and to not get credit for it. So when you when you look at your story and you look at the story that came out last week that um, you know in 2006 Trump had tried to get a uh, a loan from Deutsche Bank mm-hmm. um, and um, he he's loaning tens of million dollars millions of dollars to his uh, presidential campaign. It seems like someone who is willing to uh, put himself in this level of trouble just for some ballroom fee and all these other things. I mean, it's literally, it's almost like, it's literally like pennies off the dollar here and there, the way he's just trying to scrape uh, scrape away from. Do you think that he is kind of broke a, a little bit at some point here, and this is just kind of the strategy, or is it is it the fact, you know, when you go back to that story in the 80s or 90s when, do you know the story about the, the, the $1 check? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, oh, so yeah. there's this this uh, professor who sends out a dollar bill, a, a one dollar check to look, all these multimillionaires all over the country, uh, all around the world, and I think there's two people out of the dozens and dozens that he sent it to that actually cast the check. And one I of them, think of that course, this you're Donald talking Trump. about our former editor, Graydon Carter here. Oh, that's right. That was Graydon. Yeah. That's right. It was Spy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it's so my my question is um, is is Trump back then? During the inauguration, uh, before it, during the, the presidential campaign, is he just kind of running out of money or is he just a, a greedy guy who will take any single solitary thing he can get or is it a little bit of both? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. He's certainly not as rich as he pretends to be. But you have to think about this is a guy who's infamously cheap. He stiffs everybody. Yeah. He tries to get out of bills. Um, he tries to to not pay as much money as he possibly can. And I think a lot of this comes from the fact that he did not, I mean, he grew up very wealthy. He had an incredibly rich father, um, but he was an outsider. And I think when you have that outsider mentality, you do everything to kind of stay inside. And this is the way I've come to think about the Trump family. Um, Fred Trump, his father, did was motivated by the fact that he wanted to be rich. Donald Trump was already rich thanks to his father, but he was motivated by the fact that he wanted to be an insider in Manhattan, part of society. Donald Trump's children, Ivanka, Eric, Don Jr., and I'm not going to include Tiffany in this because I think she's a little different, but and Barron's too young. Um, but they were already rich. They were already insiders and part of Manhattan society, and so they're motivated by power. And that's the way that I hmm. think about them. That's how this particular dynasty has evolved. It's, uh, it's, I mean, dynasty is the perfect, uh, perfect analogy for it. Okay. So as you're doing the story, um, and you're kind of reporting all of this, the shady stuff that's going on, how, what's, what do you, you know, you're reaching out to the white house, you're reaching out to the Trump folks. You get that quote from, from, um, Ivanka's, mm -hmm. uh, people, are they nervous about this? Are they, is, is this just one more thing that they just have to deal with that they don't really give a shit about? You know, because the inauguration story has been so hot this last week, I think the demeanor to me is uh, we're kind of treading on the same ground. And, uh, you know, these are all operators. These are people who are very skilled, highly paid, and their job is to make you feel like well, this is not a big deal. Like that is quite literally what they're paid for. So um, either they're saying you're wrong or this isn't a big deal. And so I got a little bit of both of that. Um, one part of the story that I don't, I have not talked about with you yet is uh, because this woman, um, Stephanie Winston Walkoff was such a good friend of the first ladies. She actually went to work with her in the East wing initially. And uh, there's a lot of really good little East wing drama there. Um, for example, um, Walkoff really thought it was a terrible idea to call the First Lady's initiative Be Best. She told people in the East Wing that she thought it sounded illiterate, which it's hard to disagree with. Um, ultimately, the First Lady decided um, that 
this was what she wanted to call it. She didn't want to call it anything that sounded too close to anything that her husband was working on. Some of the suggestions were to call it something like Children's First, but the First Lady decided she thought that sounded too much like America America First, which is her husband's platform, and so she went instead with Be Best. Um, so I put all of this to the East Wing, and they declined to comment, as did the White House. Um, I think that they're pretty used to scandal. Do you okay? So I don't. I'm, I tried to look before we got on the on the phone here uh, to talk about this. Uh, how many scandals there are actually going on? How many law, potential lawsuits? How many? Can you investigations? count that high? It, it's Even? it's insane. I mean, it is like it is a never ending number. Are any of these going to stick to any of these fucking people, or are they all just going to be Teflon dons and it's just going to float on by? You know what? It's a it's hard to say definitively, but here's what I think. I think that having a number of investigations in the Southern District of New York has to be a terrifying proposition for a number of reasons. First, the Southern District of New York is no fucking joke. They are the real deals. They will stop at nothing. And we've already seen that they are willing to... Um, go full in on people who worked with Trump. Look at Michael Cohen. He, in less than a month, is now going to be serving three years in federal prison, um, you know, several counts unrelated to the president and several counts related to the president. And the Southern District of New York, in its sentencing memos, essentially named the president as an unindicted co-conspirator as this individual one, saying that he directed Cohen to make those payments to women in the run-up to the presidential election, which is a federal crime to influence an election like that and not report it the way that they did not report it. Uh, and that is just Michael Cohen. They are looking into Trump businesses more broadly. Um, they're looking into the Trump organization. They're looking into the Trump inauguration. And whatever ends up happening with the Mueller report, if it does wrap up soon, if it doesn't wrap up soon, it will eventually wrap up, right? The Southern District could go on for years. They could go in any which direction because the president operated his businesses and his organization here. Um, and, and that has to be a terrifying proposition. I think, th look, I have no idea what Mueller has. It would be shocking to me, uh, given the indictments that have come down from Mueller and the, uh, the people I know he has interviewed and what people I have talked to who have been interviewed by his team have said to me that that he will come up with nothing it just it seems like an impossible proposition to me but i think what has to be more worrying to someone like president trump is not um what happened on the campaign but what he has been doing for the last 70 years on this earth that could completely bankrupt him could bankrupt his family and whatever reputation he has left will be ruined but do you, so now do you think that that's the end result that that it is bankruptcy it's not jail time? I don't know. I don't know that the president goes to jail. Do you think any of his family does? I mean, I I you know, I know you've interviewed a lot of people who have been interviewed by Mueller and and I have spoken to a few people too who who have um have been interviewed by him and his team for hours and hours and and the, the, one of the through lines that I've heard is that just based on questions that they are asked, these folks, is that, um, uh, that Donnie Jr. is definitely going to be indicted. Um, 
does Donnie Jr. go to jail at least? Does, does someone actually suffer the repercussions of their their actions? I don't know if he goes to jail. I don't want to speculate too much on that, but I have heard similar things to what you have heard. And the fact that Mueller charged Cohen with lying to Congress seemed like a big red flag to me at the time because, I mean, we have heard Congress people on the committee that Don Jr. testified to openly say that they believe that Don Jr. lied to them. So if Mueller is willing to say that and, and charge Cohen with lying to Congress, to me, that was like a flare. Like we are going to charge people who lie to Congress. And if Don Jr. did in fact lie to Congress, then that's a big problem for him. That's a scary thing. If you had to if I said, okay, we know the story is not even close to over, and you have to do a uh, essentially a, a 10 years from now uh, story of what has where the Trump people are, is do you think that Donald Trump, the president today, is regretting everything? Is he I think uh, he's is he bankrupted? Forget 10 he, years from now, I think he's regretting it now. Do you really? Yes. He seems like he loves this. Are you? Ca- it's everyone he does says, not keeps love saying this. he does not. Everyone love this. keeps saying that he, but he loves power. He loves attention. That's all he cares yeah, about. But he had power and attention before all of this, and he didn't have his businesses that would ultimately be ruined. He didn't have every single of the world, every single member of the worldwide press, essentially probing every aspect of his life. He, yes, he likes the level of attention he has. Yes, he likes the ability to say, I'm meeting with Kim Jong-un in Vietnam and it's going to get attention and whatever. I think that a 72-year-old Donald Trump does not want to be getting the the kind of attention he's getting right now. I think he'd rather be rich in Trump Tower and uh, able to start a new birther movement or something like that. Do you think that, so I've spoken to a few Republicans, uh, none of whom know really what's going to happen. It's more just their thesis from folks that they've spoken to and so on. These are not that high up people. Um, but they have a theory that they think that Trump may not run in 2020. If he Do thinks you think he's going to lose, he's not running. I mean, but he, if he thinks that he, there is a chance that he will lose. He didn't think he was going to win the last one. That was a different proposition, right? He, he thought it was going to be a great branding exercise. Um, I don't think he expected to win, but he would publicly tell people, like, I'm going to win. Um, yeah. And and that was certainly not the plan going in to win the job. But when you're running for a re-election, it, like, no one expected Donald Trump to win the presidency. And so, like, that that's a different proposition. People expect you to win re-election, right? It's a huge issue if you don't re-election. It's only happened like what, like once or twice before in history mm-hmm. that a sitting president doesn't win re-election. Um, so uh, I do not, this is a guy who does not like to be humiliated like that. So I think there's a world in which if the numbers are really not looking good and he is not impeached, um, that there's some sort of excuse. Like he's, I've done everything that I came here to do. I uh, accomplish a tremendous amount, but the media just won't let me win. That they won't let me get away from every for, with anything. That they're all over me, and uh, I, you know, I it just is impossible for me at this point. And I've accomplished. And then he so probably much. would set up. He would probably set up his his uh, his little buddy Pence to 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 run instead. I mean, or? I think there are there are people who would primary Pence in three seconds who have a, a better <laughs> chance. 
Um, but but I don't know. I mean, this we're also we have to we have to remember like we're so close to the election. The Iowa caucus is less than a year away, right? So uh, Trump is hovering right at that point in the approval rating where he's just about where he was, slightly lower maybe when he came in. Um, there's a chance he hangs on to every single member of his base uh, or the similar number as when he uh, as as he had in 2016. Now it's just a question of where that is demographically because we know he didn't win the electoral college. So if he's able to um, hang on to the voters in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania exactly the same way, then hey, he he could do it again. If he loses Pennsylvania and he doesn't pick up another big state, then the electoral no- numbers are all off and he could lose. So it's just, it's a weird little math thing and it's why our electoral college is all fucked up and messes everything up. So I have a theory. Here's my theory. Uh, my theory is that he runs. This is totally just, I just made this up in my head. Okay. Uh, but he, he runs knowing full well he's going to lose. Okay. He loses and he blames it on the democrats cheating or 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 russia or something like that something that makes him look good we can't criticize russia not that he lost what's that he can't criticize russia come on but okay so maybe china or something he blames it on some outside influence or immigrants who voted illegally definitely the illegal and then and then in his last days he gets to um uh he gets to pardon all of his people um, that have been indicted and arrested and Can thrown in jail. Can I ask you jail. a question about your theory? Why yeah. would he put himself? I know. I just told it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. When he could just pardon them at the last <laughs> days anyway, right? <laughs> well, I don't think he wants to pardon anyone because I don't think he gives a shit about anyone but that himself. But I do true. think he would do his kids. I do think if he it, would, if he it would, cost he him would. nothing, like why not? But if there was a cost yeah. to pardoning his kids, he wouldn't do it. You don't think so? No. Someone once said to me, someone who knows the president very, very, very well, um, I had been asking him about um, Ivanka and Jared, and this is when people were really talking about Jared and being in some big trouble, and of course that talk is still out there, um, but uh, nothing's happened to him yet. Um, And so I was asking around about uh, what would happen, like who would Ivanka choose and would would Trump protect Jared in that case? And this person said to me, if you think that Trump would do anything to protect Jared at the expense of his reputation and legacy, you know nothing. And they hung up the phone on me. And Hmm. so I always think about that. Now, I mean, it's very different with Ivanka, uh, slightly different with Don Jr. But I, I don't think at the end of the day, this is a guy who would put his kids before himself. That's just not the kind of parent he is. It's a very unusual parenting value, but that's just the way he is. Do you think that, um, speaking of Jared, you know, we've heard all these rumors. You've reported a lot of stuff. We've heard lots of stories about how Jared could be one of the folks who's indicted, um, one of the four specifically from Mueller and his team. Um, you know, if, if I, if I were Jared, I don't think I would actually be able to sleep at night. Like if, I mean, I get a parking ticket these days and I lay there thinking like, oh my God, I'm not going to pay it on time. And my car is going to get towed. Like it's like this. You've gone totally soft. You had this like whole rebellious youth and it's totally ruined you as an adult, huh? It's totally true. I started Mm -hmm. boxing lately. So that's, that's like the rage out that way. But, 
But um, that's shocking yeah, to really me. Fun. Um, but the uh, we'll get back to my boxing yeah, career in a moment. To hear more about um, it. But is Jared worried? Is a uh, is Ivanka worried that her husband may go to jail or something bad? Or are they just like? Do they just think? Oh, we're part of the family now, so uh, nothing nothing bad can ever happen. You know. These two, I feel like I've talked to you and on this podcast about this before, but it's really like the only answer to this, and I'm going to repeat it again because it's true. They are master compartmentalizers. It's a result of both of their childhoods and both of the traumas that their fathers put them through that they are able to completely compartmentalize their lives. So if they are upset at their the way Trump says something or uh, a policy in the White House, they're able to go to work and completely separate themselves from that because they that's just the way their mind works. You and I could never do that, right? I could never work for a place or a boss where I felt like that person's batshit and that policy is draconian and I never want to be involved with anything having to do with them. Like that's just not how – like they are able to completely separate that in their mind. And I think if they are worried, which I, it's impossible to I, – I mean – I guess if they they truly believe they're truly innocent and have not done anything wrong, maybe they're not worried. But even still, you would still think there's some worry that everyone's probing into your lives and you know that. Uh, They are able to compartmentalize that nervousness or anxiety away, and then that's how they sleep at night. Ah, this is all so insane. These are people that you and I can't relate to. Like their their no, psychology, in, in no way. and not just you and I. Most people can't. When you start thinking about the psychology and thinking about them in terms of um, normal human feelings or reactions or familiar relationships, they don't have that same thing that we have. And so it's very difficult to try and understand them. And so uh, part of part of what we do is is to help get inside their heads a little bit to to help explain. You are listening to Inside the Hive. With Nick Bilton. So if you're like me, the list of books that you want to read and those that people suggest that you should read is never-ending and always expanding, piling up on your bedside table, bookshelf, toilet, and your phone. You simply don't have enough time to read them all. Well, our sponsor this week has a solution. Blinkist has solved this long list of must-reads once and for all. So Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to the most impactful elements so you can read or listen to them in just under 15 minutes all on your phone. With Blinkist, you will expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can in almost any other way imaginable, especially by wasting time on social media. Plus, you can listen to those books too, and you can do it anywhere. Just this morning, I read the incredible The Rise and the Fall of the Dinosaur, and after this podcast is over, I'm going to go sit down, have a cup of coffee, and read Happy Ever After. The Blinkist library is massive. They have timeless classics like Think and Grow Rich to current bestsellers like The Sixth Extinction. My personal recommendations if you want to check out something really out there is to go look at some of the amazing biographies. There's Titan, Rocket Man, The Radium Girls, all great, great reads in just under 15 minutes. Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from their best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. So right now, Blinkist is going to offer a limited-time special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Hive to get your free seven-day trial. Once again, go to Blinkist, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Hive, which you know how to spell, to start your free seven-day trial, Blinkist.com slash Hive. The best part, you can listen to these two just like you're listening to this podcast. Once again, Blinkist.com slash Hive. 
So uh, you wrote a book on the Trumps, Trump, born, born Trump. Uh, there's been a lot of books about the Trump family and Trump and, the, and you know, all these different Only things. Only one about the Trump family, okay. Only one about the Trump family, but there's been a you know a, a new swell of books lately. There's yes. Chris Christie's book. There's Cliff um, Sims from the White House. Yeah, Cliff Sims book. Yeah. Uh, there's um, with with all these stories that come out. Um, first of all, are you ever shocked when you kind of read some of these things, or are they are you, is it you just numb to it all now too? That's the first question. And the second question is, do when you speak to your sources and even folks at the White House, you know, the communication teams and, mm-hmm. and, and the East Wing and so on. Um, do these things just, are they just like little gnats floating out in, in the wind and they don't even care or pay attention? Or um, are these things that they actually, I've always wondered this, do they actually worry about what these stories and these books are saying about them? So I'll answer the first question first, was, was I sh- am I shocked by any of them? No, because most of the stuff at this point has been reported, right? Uh, we're kind yeah. of we're kind it's of just, the last it's more it's, it's just echoing yeah. themes that we know to be true. Maybe we should be outraged anew, but I'm personally not. It's, these are pretty much at this point all stories I've either read or been told behind the scenes. So it's not particularly shocking to me. It is wild that this is life and that this is the administration that's in charge of United States of America, but it's not particularly shocking to me. There is, there are sometimes books that rattle the White House in the run-up to them because they're not entirely sure what they're going to say, um, and I think that there is some, there are some moments of tension about what they could say. Um, I don't. I think that everyone I speak to in the White House has this sense of like nothing matters anyway. Where well, it would be a big, it, and it's it's hard for me to say you're wrong. Like I constantly am reminded by these people when I say like this is a kind of a big story. I'll call them and say, and they'll say to me, "You say that every time you call me," and it's true. And I always do say that, and I always feel like you know. I'll give you an example. Um, I thought that when. It came out, NBC News broke a story several weeks ago that Jared's security clearance had been flagged and um, someone in the White House who Trump appointed had overruled the CIA flagging it and gotten the security clearance anyway, which was counter to the narrative that Jared's uh, attorney had put out last year. And uh, I thought that was a big story. Like, I thought that that was going to have major repercussions. And it still may. It looks like Congress may now or is asking to open an inquiry into how he got his security clearance. So that that could be a big deal in that way. But when I was talking to people, I was like, holy shit, this is a big deal. And they were like, you said that the last 17 times when there have been security clearances, clearance issues with Jared, and it's never been a big deal. And he has more power in the White House today than he's had ever before. And um, basically none of this matters. And it's hard to argue with that when it just seems to be true. Yeah. Maybe there, will be, maybe there will come a time where there's a breaking point and maybe uh, something will be so big that it will break the status quo, but it hasn't happened yet. I think it's, you know, we, we, we as kids and as adults and, you know, throughout our lives, we read and hear these stories about good overcoming evil and and history actually most of the time is that, um, even if there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in between. And I think that the, the hope for so many people is that, that we all know, I think even, even his supporters know, uh, not all of them, some of them are 
grossly naive to what's reality and what's not um, in the same way people on the other side of the aisle can be grossly naive to what's reality and what's not with folks on the left. But, mm -hmm. but I think that the thing that I, you know, the thing that just eats me up and so many other people is that we want there to be some sort of, I don't know, something that happens that justice. is you want justice, justice. Is what you feel. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yes. you don't want to know that, that, that Trump is going to go to his grave believing that he won like his father probably did. Um, uh, you want to, you want to know that, that some justice is served, but I don't know. We, you know, can only just hope for the best and hope that the people that are doing their jobs so well, keep doing it and find yeah. something that actually sticks to Teflon Don. Look, their, their democracy is resilient. Uh, there's a reason mm -hmm. why our country As we're has, learning. Yes, there's a reason why our country has made it through many difficult periods of time. This has only been two years. I think we have seen every day courageous people working in the government um, who are keeping their heads down and just doing their important work and trying to keep democracy as resilient as it possibly can be. And so we just have to hope that however it ends up, uh, that democracy prevails, and I do. I still have that hope, and I think um, I don't. We don't know how the story is going to end, but I feel like the moral of the story will be that democracy is resilient and we'll all be okay. Completely. Um, all right. Last few questions before I let you get back to uh, um, your work. Uh, the wall, the infamous wall that never was. Um, what, what's it. their plan now to try to get this wall? Is it going to be like a two-foot cinder block hey, can you thing just explain going across to me? the... I have a question. I'm going to toss this back to you. Yeah. I heard yeah. the president say the phrase yesterday or the day before, see-through steel slots. Ha mm -hmm. ha did you... I had no idea that there was see-through steel. Is that like a new <laughs> thing? Like, that sounds uh, amazing. Well, there, I'm... I'm going to nerd out for a second here, and there there is a technology oh called graphene. What is that? Uh, graphene is this new um, kind of uh, this new mo molecule that these that scientists have created. That is um, a few years back. I wrote about it um, with the new, in the New York Times, and it's like it's the thinnest, hardest. Uh, it's it, it's everything. It can be see-through. I mean, you're going to, eventually cars will be built out of it and airplanes and it's it's incredibly light. It's stronger than, um, you know, a spider's web. It's like this insane technology. Uh, and you could, if, if, if it existed today um, in bulk, you could imagine building uh, see-through see steel, I mean, see-through graphene slats, but there's no such thing as um, see-through steel slots. Well, I actually am uh, so glad I asked you that question because I've been wondering this and you gave it a very thoughtful answer. My guess thanks. is the president doesn't know about that. You're, um, yeah, I don't think the president knows about graphene. Uh, you should read about it. It's really fascinating well, now stuff. Now I'm going to go read um, your story. It sounds great. Um, so, but look, here. here's my theory. Uh I think that the the wall thing, he wants to have the wall done, of course, so that he can say that he's building the wall for his re-election campaign, providing he doesn't take the route that I came up with, which was a really bad idea. <laughs> but um, clearly, I should not be running anyone's political campaign. Uh, but I, I think that it doesn't really even matter because if he, even if he just starts to build like 
one stretch of wall, even if he, if he says, I'm going to fund it myself, and he does it, he, he gets to say he's building that. the wall. Yeah, it's I, not I, about I the know, wall. It's, it's about being able to say you're building the wall. It's a campaign chant. Yes. It's not an actuality. The, yes. the question so, has, But there are a lot but, of ways he could do, yeah. Sure, but like, okay, so what are you going to go out on the campaign trail with? He's a campaign rally scheduled for next week, I think, or two weeks from now. Uh, yep, or next his week. first one. Um, what is he going to, like, what's the chant going to be? Like, build a tiny section of the steel wall or if the government, um, <laughs> the, if they've reached some sort of deal next week to not shut down the government, which I hope they do. Uh, and he has not provided funding for a border wall. And that idea is dead and Congress has already voted on it and it's over. What is the campaign slogan then? Like that was it. You, who are you locking? You're not locking Hillary up. So lock her up is gone, right? The build the wall is gone. What what are you saying? What's your message? That's the best part of some of the Democratic candidates who have announced so far. And um, I mean, there are so many of them and who knows what's going to happen to that field. But they all have a message, right? They all have a reason. But Trump's message is going to be... What? Look at what I did to the stock market. Look at what I've done to jobs. Look at what I've done for the economy. Let's keep America great again. Okay. And a lot you need of to, what you has... Need to, a lot of what has been done for the economy, I mean, real people don't feel the stock market. His base doesn't feel the oh, stock market. I'd, believe me. I, oh, I, I, I totally, you, you, you don't have to convince me. I'm not voting for the guy. Uh, You're not? I'm just saying that that's. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm shocked. Don't you asked me if I was anyone. shocked before, but <laughs> now. Um, not, not no, but that's share. his message. Okay. All right. Switching gears real quick. Because okay. uh, I only have a, a few a few more questions left. Um, AOC. Yes. Okay. It's like the wonderkind of the left um, for most people. Uh, is Ivanka loves her attention? So does Melania too, but more so Ivanka. Definitely does not. She, a, she, a do you know how she? Do, definitely. Do you? Do you? Um, uh, well, she likes to be kind of praised, I think. But sure. but Ivanka Ivanka loves loves her attention and hasn't really been getting it a lot lately. Um, and it's been kind of the woman in the news has been has been AOC for the yeah. most part. You know, you've got Kamala and everyone else. Do you know how does she feel about her? Is she does she That's admire her? Hate her? Question. Uh, I don't know. I would imagine Ivanka is very smart, and I mm-hmm. can, I would not be shocked. If you do not see an overture there at some point. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, I think that I don't know how well that overture would be received, right? Uh, I don't know yep. that AOC would accept that kind of invitation. Maybe she would. I don't know. But I would not be shocked if you would would see an outreach there. Uh, I think that right now Ivanka is okay not being at the center of attention because I think two years in she realizes that it's only going to be negative attention. There's just yeah. it's it's very hard for her to get positive attention. Even if she's doing good things, people aren't going to give it to her. And so I think she's come to that realization. And she does like today she announced that she's going to lead some sort of um, economic women's initiative over the next however many years um and that got some attention and i think that that's the kind of attention she wants to get but in terms of uh, the kinds of stuff she used to seek she's she realizes it's not going to end up well for her so don't even try and find it all right i've gonna we're gonna talk about three people three questions uh, three round. of your 
three of your last stories that you've yeah. written for Vanity Fair. Um, let's start off with Miss Hope Hicks. Your new neighbor. You did a big piece. My new neighbor. Uh, I haven't seen her at the uh, local Air One lately, but you know, hopefully <laughs> we'll bump into each other. Uh, is Hope? Is Hope? Does Hope regret? Does she? Do you think she wants Trump to win again? Does she? You know, where is she? In her existential uh, crisis. I think she was ready to move on from her job there, but she has not moved on from the Trumps. The president still calls her with some frequency asking for advice. She's still very much in touch with Ivanka and Jared, uh, other staffers who she was very close with in the administration. And so her she may have moved to the West Coast, but she did not make a clean break. Look, she's working for New Fox, which includes Fox News. So one person I spoke to for the story basically was like, it's sort of like, um, you know, you're still able to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit there. Uh, it's not completely removing herself from the brand. And I think if Trump were to get reelected, it would certainly be good for Fox News. So it's hard for me to imagine that that's not something she would be okay with. But uh, I think that there was a level of wanting to get her life back to normal and a little bit of a concern over the fact of uh, staying there longer could impact her professional viability and certainly her personal life. She had no personal life working in the White House and on the campaign. She's yeah. 30 years old and wanted to get on with her life. Um, okay. Uh, you and I were at a uh, certain Vanity Fair new establishment summit earlier this year, last year, mid-year. Uh, we were sitting with Michael Avenatti right before you went and interviewed him on stage. And he was talking about how he thought he was the one, the only one that would be able to, to to go into the the hog pit with Donald Trump in 2020 and beat him, uh, Avenatti is done, right? Isn't that funny? Life comes at you fast. Yeah, it does come at you fast. Have you spoken to him? Is he? I have. Does he reg- does he regret his uh, you know his goals in life? Like what happened? So he is very, uh, in some ways, very Trumpian, and I don't think that Trump or Michael Avenatti would. Uh, very quickly admit regret. And I think if you were to ask Michael Avenatti that question, he would say, look at what I accomplished in that year. Michael Cohen wouldn't have been going to prison if not for my client and me bringing the case to light. Um, He would cite a whole number of things that he uh, said he has done over the last year. So I don't think he regrets it. I certainly can't imagine this is how he thought he would end up or where he would be in January of 2019. I, I really think, and I, you can tell me because you were also sitting with him, I really think he thought he was going to run and that he would have a shot at it. Yeah, I think so too. I think that it was, you know, what was very clear to me sitting with him was that he was inc- very, a very capable, very smart guy um, who he was able to kind of go into the hog pit with Donald Trump. But he didn't know what he was getting into. I think that he, um, you know, he, these are guys, these are people who, who play however they have to play, do whatever they have to do. But he's one of those have people a lot too. Of, but the difference, I think the difference, I agree, but the difference is, is that, is that he, he has had to do it when he's had to do it. These folks do it for every, I mean, I remember we had um, the Mooch on the show. Yeah. 
and uh, and he was saying, I said to him, what was so different? You know, people in, on Wall Street are are, are awful. They're selfish. Yeah. They're, and he he was like, you have no idea. He's like, he goes, they the the folks in Washington, not just the folks in Washington, but the folks around the Trump administration and and, and his supporters and everything. He said the, something along the lines of, you know. They make these Wall Street bankers look like angels. He's like they will they will literally stab you any way they can, any way you know, you'll walk into their office and they'll be like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And then you walk out and next thing you know, you, you something you just said has been leaked to Fox News or totally. whatever. But I also um, think you have the media too, and, and this is a, a good thing generally, but um the media doesn't let you get away with shit. So you have people in the White House who are willing to stab you in the front, back, side, uh, over the head, yes. uh, on your feet, your toes, whatever. Um, but you also have the media who's not going to let people forget that Michael Avenatti did have a role in the Kavanaugh hearings. And many people in Congress um, believe yep. that it was not a positive one. And he did. Yep. Uh, he was not charged in L.A., but he was arrested in October, November, um, over a domestic dispute again. He was not charged in that. Um, but but these are two things that are not going to be forgotten and people are not going to let them go. And those are two things that should not happen if you are planning to launch a presidential campaign in that environment. Unless you're Donald Trump. Teflon Don. Um, all right. Teflon Don. All right. Last question. Yeah. The, last, the last person, Michael Cohen, who I know you've spent mm-hmm. quite a lot of time with, mm-hmm. um, is is I, I mean I part, I kind of feel bad for him. Do, am I a bad person for feeling bad for him? You're a, you're entitled to any feeling that you have, Nick. Don't let anyone tell I you. I feel you bad for him. I, well, I I understand he did bad things. Yes. But he just seems like someone who he's almost like the person who you feel you who just wants to be I don't know if he wants to be liked or whatever it is in, in high school, but he's willing to to like do the bad things so that the so that the big bully likes him. And I feel kind of like, you know, he did that. Well, am I? Am I? Well, here's the thing. He got up in in court when he was about to be sentenced and basically said, "I have blind loyalty to this guy, and it made me do bad things. And there's nothing more I regret than having that kind of loyalty to him and wanting to be accepted by him. And it's the worst shame I could ever feel that my family is now paying the price for that. Um, so you know, do you think it, that's legit? Yes, I I. I could not agree more too. that he feels incredible regret and remorse for the pain he is causing his family. And I know from time I've spent that it is a lot of pain that he is causing his family. And he is in a lot of pain about what he's doing to them and what he's about to face. Um, he did plead guilty to eight counts of federal crimes. And so this is what happens when you commit crazy federal crimes. Is you This is how the justice yep. system works, right? Um but, you know, the guy's going to jail for three years. And would he be going to jail if not for his association with President Trump? Uh, no. I, I mean, yeah. he committed tax crimes and um, bank fraud, and those are bad things. But I don't, th- I don't think the Southern District of New York would have opened this inquiry had he not been Michael Cohen, personal attorney for the President of the United States. On that note, Emily Jane Mother F and Fox, can you can you actually change your byline to that so that we can? It uh, feels like get a little bit long, on. but I, we can talk to our editors. You know, it's worth opening the discussion. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time Thank today. Thank you for having uh, me back. I've ver- missed you. It's very exciting to know that we are coming to 
the conclusion of some of these stories that we have been talking about for so long, whether it's the Mueller investigation or Donald Trump's impeachment or Donnie Jr. going to jail or Jared finally growing out of puberty, all these things. Stay Uh, tuned. It's it's really exciting stuff. Stay tuned. (laughs) Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you. Thanks to my guest today, Emily Jane Fox. You thought I was going to say something else there, didn't you? If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. There are plenty of incredible episodes to check out. Also, don't forget last week's episode, if you didn't hear it, with Adam McKay. It's a great one. Don't forget to leave a review while you are checking out all these wonderful shows. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Blinkist. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week.